Did you know that the average human spends 92,000 hours at work during their lifetime? That's more than we spend eating, cleaning, driving, watching TV, or even surfing the internet. In fact, work is what we do most. It comes second only to sleeping. Welcome to 92,000 Hours, the podcast that believes in the integration of life and work. I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb. Before we begin, I wanted to tell you a quick story about why this podcast is so personal to me. I began practicing law at age 26 and learned many valuable lessons, including that I was deeply unhappy at work. Although I was on a path that looked like traditional success, I realized that I needed to quit my job in order to align myself with my passion and purpose. Now I am dedicated to making sure all of our 92,000 hours at work are spent well instead of simply spent. How do we construct a working world that values and accommodates our humanity? How do we construct a life that is not separate from, but fueled by, the purpose we find in our work? In this podcast, we will explore those questions and more. In each episode, I will speak to someone that demonstrates meaning, passion, and purpose in their work. Join me in discovering what happens when we bring our whole selves to our work, schools, and communities. This week, we are joined by Brody Levin, professional adventure skier and storyteller. As he describes it, Brody was born and raised in flat Ohio, but dreamed of mountains. He moved to Utah for college, where he studied economics. After graduation, he found a way to turn his passion for the mountains into a career. And since then, he has skied in six of the seven continents, biked across the United States, lobbied Congress, appeared in magazines, and spoken in many venues. And today, we will be talking about authenticity. Underneath all the pretty stuff that you tell people about, who are you? So that's the question. So if we remove work, school, volunteerism, I'm going to take for you um, social activism. Mm. Take that away. What are you most proud of about yourself as a human being? I think I was raised to know that I could kind of do anything I really wanted to. And I think that started when I like had this little mobile DJ business when I was younger, if you remember that. I, I had it from when I was nine until I graduated high school. Um, and I like owned this business and my parents were super supportive of it. And I, I supported myself and that was, that was a really successful company. And I think ever since then, I mean, that was kind of against all odds, a nine-year-old starting a business and like hiring people when he's 14 and, you know, DJing weddings when he's 13 and whatever. Um, I have and, no idea how you even did that. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, I, th- I think a lot of it was really supportive parents. Like I think really um, just encouraged me to like, I, they would never just say no pretty much. It was like, Hey, if that's what you want to do, you can do it. You need to figure it out on your own, but you can do that. You know, um, there, there weren't like kind of limitations and rules and I think what I'm most proud of is kind of continuing that because I think when you frame things with those limitations and rules, I could have easily framed, um, Brody, you can never be a professional skier 
because you're from Cleveland and you had never skied west of Pennsylvania or west of Indiana until you were 19 and at Westminster. Um, I, I think that would have been really easily, easy to put those kind of rules around myself and what I ended up making a career out of. And I'm really happy to, um, I think to be a person who can set my mind to something and usually not give myself a plan B, to be honest. Wow. I, really? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a goal oriented person. We can talk about that, but like, I'm, I'm not a goal oriented person at all. It's like, I can work really hard. Um, I'm really self-motivated. And I know that if I do that, I will kind of achieve the best that I can do, period. <laughs> um, I love that. And so what you're the most proud about yourself for is that, is that, that you'll, that you'll, you'll set your mind to it and do something that you want to do. I think so. Yeah. And, and like the ability to see past all of the really obvious barriers that exist, whether they're barriers to entry or financial barriers or whatever they are. Um, I think I've, I'm privileged and I've had plenty that I haven't had to overcome in my life. Um, but in many ways I have, uh, a lot I have had to overcome as well, or just can continually deal with. I'm interested. Well, I want to get to a couple of things. So maybe the first thing I should get to is to ask you, um, well, I know that you are like, you do interviews. Part of your role is to talk to people. Yeah. Um, and so of course it's a little intimidating to me, as I told you earlier, but, um, but I'm also interested because our audience that will listen to this may not understand. So what does an adventure, a professional adventure skier do? What is that? Um, I graduated from college. My student loans came due very quickly and I said, I need to pay them back and I can either get a job job, which I wasn't very interested in because I had never had one because I'd only worked for myself or I can like chase this dream of becoming a professional skier, the guy from Ohio against the odds trying to make that happen. Um, and I decided to pursue it with hundred percent. I did not apply for other jobs. I, it's kind of like when I, when I applied for colleges, I didn't apply. I didn't have like a safety school back home. That was 20 minutes from my parents' house. You know, it was like, no, I'm going out West. And now it was like, no, I'm going to become a professional skier. And if I don't, well, there isn't a plan B. So I kind of have to, um, but I also wanted it that badly. And so what that, I didn't know what that looked like at the time because most professional skiers were the best. They were the best skiers, period. And I was absolutely not. I had lived in the mountains for four years. And so I decided to try to create a job where a job did not exist, which was a professional athlete for someone that wasn't the most naturally gifted athlete. <laughs> and, um, and at the time, uh, that looked like self-producing a lot of videos. Social media was just taking off. And I embraced that early professionally. I didn't, I, you know, I went all through college without a Facebook account, but as soon as I realized it could help me professionally, I jumped in with two feet and it's, it's evolved over time. Um, it's a lot of traditional media and social media. It's a lot of public speaking and appearances. Um, I work closely with like a handful of big outdoor companies that create the kind of equipment that I like to use and do product testing and product development and um, a little bit of like photography and videography of product. But mostly um, my job is to go on these adventures that I come up with 
what and it's kind of four season adventures it's uh bike packing so like camping by bicycle and it's alpine climbing ice climbing rock climbing uh skiing whitewater kayaking and specifically ski mountaineering so steep skiing where i i climb up the mountains and then i ski back down them um i haven't ridden a chairlift pretty much since i graduated from college in 2010 so even though i go skiing every single day we like to say that we earn our turns so every vertical foot that we ski down we had to hike up so i'm much more a professional hiker than i am professional <laughs> skier because it takes way longer to hike up the mountains than to ski down them um, <laughs> i can only imagine how many runs can you get in uh, yesterday I skied for eight hours and 54 minutes, according to this little Garmin watch that I use. And I skied, um, it was, it was two runs. I was going to say maybe one and a half, but I guess you could call it two. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating. I have so many questions to ask you about that. And I think, um, related to that is probably to get to the heart of what we want to talk about today, which is authenticity. Because I mean, when you talk about this is what your job is. Of course, I'm, re I'm personally really interested in how do we live an authentic life? What does that look like? And how has that looked for you? And now, because of what you just said, I'm really interested and didn't even know I'd be interested, but what does the role of imagination play in creating a real authentic life? I mean, I mean, I feel like you allowed yourself to be imaginative about what your life could look like in ways that so many of us don't. There's this concept of life design. I've spoken at a couple of events where like the kind of the, the concept of the event is life design. It's like how you want to design your life around something like the outdoors or a certain industry or something like that. And I very much decided to design my life around the outdoors. And at the time, I guess I, I didn't even really realize I was doing it. I was just, I was that passionate about it. And um, I, I think I, chose to embrace that like authentic approach of like, this is what I like to do. So why would I not try to figure out how to pursue this? But there wasn't a model of an athlete influencer person that wasn't actually that talented. Um, and I mean, I, you know, I, I, I make a living as a skier. I can ski well, but um, most, the typical professional skier is extremely, extremely talented. And they're typically riding helicopters, jumping off big cliffs. This is like the model, the Warren Miller professional skier who's in the films, right? right. And that wasn't me. And I didn't have interest in pursuing that. I think that's, um, it's, it's traditionally a short-lived um, kind of career, like your body fails you or whatever it is, right? <laughs> and I knew this is what I wanted to do. I didn't have some trust fund to fall back on. And I knew I had somehow had to do it in a sustainable way. Um, and I knew that if I, or at least I thought that I could kind of create, I, I could design this life model that could also be a career. Um, it, but I, I kind of had to develop it as I went. And since then, it's be, kind of become a model that other folks have followed. And it's, it's very much um, a, a more normalized way to become a professional athlete now. Um, but at the time, I didn't have like that, that role model to look at. I didn't have that that do A, B, and C, and you will become this, you know what I mean? And, and so I was kind of creating it as I went. And um, yes, it has worked, but I think it's worked largely because I'm, I'm really interested in more than just skiing. I'm really interested in more than just sports, to be honest. Um, I, I think this diversification of interest and diversification of income 
And while it all ties back to my skiing, the activism that I do, the other activities that I do, the public speaking that I do, all of these things really resonate with me just as deeply as the skiing does. Did, was there like a, one of these things came before the other or were they all inherently part of who you were right from the start? Yeah, they were inherently part of who I was. And I think some of them hurt me and some of them did help me, you know, like um, my sincere interest in a sustainable lifestyle and the future of our planet is something I've held close to me for a very long time, like since I was a child. It happens to now be in vogue in the outdoor industry to care about the planet. Fortunate for me, I have followed this space for a very long time now, and I've volunteered actively in it for a very long time. Um, That's great. That's something that helped me. Um, Something that hurt me is this pretty much disallowance of riding chairlifts, which are the typical way to go skiing. And because I don't ride chairlifts, I don't get as many runs in a day. Because I don't get as many runs in a day, I'm not as good of a skier as I could because I don't have the practice. Um, something else that hurts me is that you're darned physically fit as a result. <laughs> it's true. And so I have this obsession with, with fitness in general and in the ski world, that is not like held, um, highly. It's more about, again, how good of a skier you are. And so while I have this diverse, diversified set of interests, everything, like I said, from rock climbing to skiing, um, maybe that's not that, that diversified, really, it's all kind of the same, but Um, I have this diversified set of interests and you are rewarded in the industry that I work in for being a specialist at one. Um, The jack of all trades is not typically held high. It's like the master of one. Um, And that's something that has held me back, but it's also allowed me to stay a little, to stay a little truer to myself and avoid the burnout, which I think is very, very real, likely in any industry, I assume. Super interesting. Um, So tell me about, I had this conversation with somebody on a prior podcast that was about entrepreneurship. So Andrew Taylor talked about risk that, Mm -hmm. and, and that you have to take risks in order to, you know, set your own, your own path. And you clearly did like you are, you just told us nobody did what you did and you had to find a way. Andrew said something like, uh, he had read and he really believes that entrepreneurs, which I consider you to be one, um, so have to start off with a bit of a chip on their shoulder. Like there has to be something that they're like, you know what, this is, I am not going to do that. There's a little bit of a, like, watch me or something. Do you think that's true? I, I definitely don't disagree with that. I mean, I, I'm trying to think what my specific chip would be is I, I think I came in, um, into this role. I didn't come into this role. I created this role very much um, knowing that the difficulty for me likely wouldn't be the physical activity as much as it would be the practicality of living across the country from my family, um, traveling the world, not having a source of income to fall back on, and also not having um, a specific skill set to fall back on. I mean, I studied the philosophy of economics, right? Like, (laughs) um, I, I didn't work in an industry and then fall into this job, right? Like I pursued this with everything I had. It has been kind of a lifelong pursuit. And, um, and I understood that, and, and I still do, that 
this could be kind of taken away from me pretty easily by injury. It could be taken away from a shift in the industry. And so while I want to stay dynamic, I think the chip on my shoulder could be that um, it's almost like I've, I've done harder things than like having to climb these mountains, right? Because I mean, it's such a selfish pursuit just going up these mountains. And I, I found a I found a way, not because I look for it, because I've generally found a way to have other meaning to what I do, um, whether it's the social activism that I do or um, it's the writing or content creation that I do. It's more than just about like, I want to climb that mountain and ski down. So I will go climb that mountain and ski down. And over time that is becoming less and less part of um, what really draws me to it. Like, it's not just about the skiing. I've skied a lot now you know, you're still just sliding down snow on some sticks. Right. Um, <laughs> but I have, I've been really fortunate in that I have been able to find meaning in being outdoors, um, introducing other folks to the outdoors, folks from different backgrounds, and also finding ways to, um, hopefully give back in addition to just all that I take. I am, uh, really excited about and I think it has something to do with your success so I just I want to bring up something I remember um so you were just starting off in your career and I remember asking you if you would speak at something or come to something it was about success it was about being successful or something like that and I remember at the time you were probably experiencing some who knows maybe you had some imposter syndrome or maybe you but you were like I'm not sure that I'm the definition of success, the way that your business school folks or something might think of the definition of success. And I remember talking to you about how I see you and most people would as the definition of success because you have crafted and like you just talked about designed a life that, that is authentic to who you are. So I'm interested in how you might've felt back then how you feel now. And then also if you give any advice to people about what that's like for them when they're experiencing either the crisis of confidence or like, how could you help people find their authentic path? I feel the exact same way now as I felt then, right? I mean, I've been, I graduated from college in 2010. I instantly had to start doing this. And I, I, I go into it and I started, the hustle was so real. And 11 years later, the hustle is still so real. And like, yes, I think, um, in, in a nutshell, like you can quickly say like, yes, I have been able to live this life now for 11 years. I think I would see success as, um, as, as different than what I have, to be honest. I think in so many ways, I, I, I can see why um, you would say that. And, and that means a lot to me and I appreciate it. But I also can see like every day I wake up and I'm like, oh God, what, how is this going to work? You know, like, yes, it, it is working. I, I, I have a house I'm living in now. That's wild because I was living in my car for a long time. Um, but at the same time, in gosh, and like, I think even in the ski world, people could say I've, I've found success. Like the skiers will be like, you've been on the cover of the major ski magazines and in the biggest ski films. And you have these giant companies that pay you to go skiing, right? Like that is, if you really condense it, 
and brush away everything else. Yes, that is true. But I think all that stuff that you would brush away is actually what's important. Ooh, um, talk that about is, that. I mean, it's, it's the lack of job security. It's the lack of benefits. It's that my job is to risk my life truly. And I still can't, I, I still have to buy my own health insurance, you know, um, because that's not provided from these companies who, who use me to put on this pedestal of someone who risks their life, you know? Right. And, um, and, and I think all of that kind of superfluous fascinating, stuff. Brody. That's fascinating. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, this, I, I think if I were to 15 years ago, if I would see where I am right now, I would say, yes, I think that is success. But being in those shoes now, I have, I have a really hard time thinking that. And that's why I, I do, a, do a lot of public speaking, as I said. And the main concept is imposter syndrome. Huh. And it's not like I get up there on stage and I talk about how rad I am to have, you know, I've climbed and skis mountains on six continents now, and including many that I was the only person to have ever climbed and ski. Wow. Like that's really cool. 20 year old Brody thinks that's awesome. It okay. is cool though. That is very cool. It is cool. And I'm like, the reason I'm doing it is because I think it's awesome. Totally. <laughs> um, and I love it, but, um, it's no longer like, this is, this is like a, a hobby for me, you know, like I had a, I had a major sponsor, um, fire me in 2017, drop me as we call it in the ski industry. Right. Like they're like, we no longer need you on our team. Nothing in particular. You're a little more outspoken about, you know, saving the planet than we like, but otherwise, um, yeah, we no longer need you on the team. And it's kind of just like, you know, we need some more money on our budget. So here's Brody. He gets paid that exact amount of money. Let's just cross him off our list. Well, you know, um, this isn't just a hobby anymore. And I have real bills to pay. Like this is actually how I have, how, how I sustain myself and how I've made a living. And I didn't, I didn't really think about that when I started, I was like, oh, you're a professional skier. You know, you get paid, you live in your car whatever. Um, but that's, that's not the case for me. Um, I, I have to have retirement accounts and I have to, and in these things, I think they come with age, they come with responsibility, they come with maturity. And as they have, um, they're often, I think, overlooked by the typical professional athlete who is, um, often a much more, in a much more privileged position than I am. And when that's the case, they're able to maybe overlook some of these things that I'm not able to overlook. So something like losing a sponsor or being unable to go on an expedition because COVID or, you know, whatever comes up, these things have like very real repercussions to me. And I can't help, but when I feel those repercussions be like, wow, I could have become an economist or wow, I could have done anything else with my life, you know, because as, as times get tough and there's so much, there's so many highs and lows in this career. And when I hit a low, I'm like, oh, geez, I don't, I don't have a skill set to fall back on. And on one hand, it's like, oh, I can write, I can produce videos, I could, you know, be a public speaker guy, but I don't, I, I couldn't be a financial advisor. I couldn't be a professor. I, there's, I couldn't be like the things that I would love to just kind of have in my back pocket to be, you know? I also, though, think that as you crafted your life, you must have somehow thought through your own skill set because, as you mentioned, you're not a professional skier and that's all you do. And then you're done in five years. You created Europe. 
I, I, I mean, I even saw in your bio, you say that you're a, an adventure, a, an adventure skier and a storyteller and that ability to, to write and to communicate, I think is probably for you just as important as the ability to ski and to mountaineer. Yeah. I go back and forth, whether it's important to me or it's something I realize that has allowed me to sustain this. And I genuinely don't know which it is. Like, I don't particularly like writing. I don't particularly like producing these videos and, and spending all this time, you know, in front of a computer or whatever. And that's become, it's like the, the more quote professional skier I become, the less I actually ski. And yeah. the more there's like this other element to it. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people. There's something say, to that with all careers too. Like mm-hmm. that there's like that background of you have to do the stuff in order to be able to really do the stuff. Totally. Yeah. And, and <laughs> there's, there's some, you know, I I'm, I'm Brody Levin incorporated. Now I am, I am a small business that I run. I hire employees and I, I do the whole thing. And I, and, and that is so cool for me, but at the same time, it's like your personal life and your professional life have literally no dividing line at all. It's not like it's blurred for me. It's like my job is being Brody Levin. Do you get to be somebody else besides Brody Levin sometimes? It's like, I'm like, I have to be on all the time. It's I'm like I'm walking you. around the farmer's market with my girlfriend and my dog. And it's like, oh, nice to meet you. You're Brody. Hi. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate that video you were in about running or whatever. And, and I'm, I'm already on as soon as I hear that, you know, it's like, hey, hi, I'm Brody. Really nice to meet you. Tell me about yourself. Are you a runner as well? I mean, you're famous in the outdoor industry. You're this you and you live in Utah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Utah is, if you're going to have any uh, notoriety in the industry, this is where you probably live. Um, And that is my dream. My dream is not to be famous, but my dream is to have been able to make a career in the outdoor industry doing what I love, which is what I have done. It's definitely not everyone's dream, but it was mine. If this conversation has caught your attention and you want to join in on conversations like this, check out our website at connectioncollaborative.com. Welcome back. You're listening to 92,000 Hours. Today, we are talking to Brody Levin. Let's jump back in. So I love to study leadership. And one of the aspects in the research of authentic leaders is that they have, that they are very self-aware. Do you think that your self-awareness has been important to you during the course of this career so far? Hmm. I've, I've also studied leadership for a long time and I've actually never heard of this concept of authentic leadership and I like it. Um, I, I think my self-awareness is a bit different than probably how it's frequently perceived like what the concept of self-awareness is um something that would be really helpful in my career for example would be to have like you can name any professional outdoor athlete and I could kind of tell you like um the the stigma I guess associated with them in the industry like do people like them do they not like them 
Um, are they, uh, are they friendly? Are they not friendly? Are they successful? Are they not successful? Um, are they in it for the long run or are they going to, did they peak early? You know, like all of these things kind of come to mind for me pretty quickly. I don't have the self-awareness to say what that stigma is for myself. For example, um, I don't have the self self-awareness to know, uh, you know, when, when I run into someone who recognized me at the farmer's market, when they walk away with their friends, do they say, oh, that's Brody. He actually kind of sucks at skiing. <laughs> or do they say like something positive, you know? Um, I don't have the self-awareness there. I have this, um, I have a self-awareness in regard to my fitness, which is an important element of what I do. And um, to be honest, of my happiness and kind of well-being, yeah. uh, that, is, that is a huge part of it for me. Um, I have a self-awareness insofar as I know that I... <laughs> I have to work for what I, I have. Um, I don't think I have to work as hard as some people because the privilege is inherent in who I am. I think I have to work harder than other people for the same reason. Um, and I, I think that those things, if anything, all, all of the self-awareness, I think contributes to knowing that I need to work really, really hard. Um, and it is where I find kind of the self-motivation that I, I fortunately had my whole life. Um, and it's, it's why I'm confident doing something like taking on a massive remodel of this house that when I started, I had no idea what I was doing. And as soon as I start tearing this wall down and tearing this floor up and tearing these cabinets out, I'm like, Oh, I bit off more than I can chew, but you know what? Like that's kind of more just a figure of speech. I, I am going to chew this because I have no option. I have to be able to do this. I have to be able to contribute to my IRA. I have to be able to do these things because otherwise, like I, I'm going to have to move back to Ohio and live in my parents' basement. Like I, I don't have the option. And so um, I, I think the self-motivation comes from the self-awareness and that yeah. is kind of that, like the root of um, what's allowing me to continue to live the lifestyle that I want to live. I think it's important to, and I want to like reflect this back to you just so you know, is that your self-awareness that you come out with like, I am, I am the kid who's not the best skier there ever was that I grew up in the place that had little hills, not big mountains. Um, you are self-aware. You're not going out into this industry saying I'm the best skier that ever lived, but some people might, if they were not so self-aware, like you have been able to say, I know who I am and I like it. I like who I am enough that I'm able to go out there and say, this is who I am. And this is what it looks like when I do my thing. I, I think you're totally right. I'm, I, um, I don't, I, I don't think about skiing a particularly lot. Like I skiing is what a, a part of what I do, but there's so much more to it. Um, yeah. but let me talk about skiing for a second. I have, I have, um, I've climbed in ski mountains. Like I said, on six of the seven continents. I have not been to Antarctica yet. Um, I, I kind of specialize in skiing these mountains that no one has ever skied before and maybe never even climbed it before. Um, and I, which has to be also dangerous. Totally. I mean, talk about self-awareness, like risk and consequence are something that I am weighing all the time. And, um, I, Can I also I say, I love that you actually put on your, uh, on your, I think it's on your website that says out loud, I am terrified, uh, of avalanches. Terrified of them. Yeah. And, and part of the problem with these mountain 
experiences are that you have this positive feedback mechanism and you don't get negative feedback until you or your partner is buried in an avalanche or falls off a cliff or falls into a crevasse. And most of these end badly um, because the consequences of the type of skiing I do aren't like, oh, you break your wrist or like maybe you tear your knee, but it's more like if you fall, you die. That's the skiing that I specialize in. Um, and thus I'm very, I'm very particular about it. And I have knock on wood only had pretty positive experiences. You know, I volunteer to teach these avalanche classes, for example, and everyone's first question, have you ever been in an avalanche? And I'm like, no, because I've made a series of good decisions. But in reality, the way avalanches work, have I possibly made a thousand bad decisions that I was just one inch left of hitting that right snowflake that triggers the avalanche for sure. Um, and so you get this positive feedback mechanism where you're like, I'm the man, I'm doing a great job. Everything's going right. I'm continually succeeding until something tragic happens. Like you lose a friend. Um, and, and, and I've had, I've, I've had those tragedies. I've, I've lost friends and, um, where was I going with this? Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's there, there is this positive feedback and it's scary because you know, statistically, the more time you spend out there, um, the more likely it is that you're eventually going to run out of positive feedback. Super and, scary. And so while I have, you know, I will look at mountains that I want to climb or look at mountains that I want to ski. And there's a reason I have not been to the Himalaya yet or the Karakoram. Um, people much less experienced than I have gone there and they have climbed Mount Everest and they have skied in the, in the Himalaya and I've never even set foot in Nepal, which sounds like a crazy statement to make because most people have never set foot in Nepal. But for someone whose job and passion is to climb mountains, like that is a very obvious place to go. <laughs> and there is reason I haven't done that. And that is because I personally, based on what I know of those mountains, I'm not ready. Have I skied more dangerous things here in the Wasatch or in other continents, perhaps, but it depends what you consider dangerous. Is it the distance from a rescue facility? Is it the altitude that you're working at? Is it, you know, what is it that makes it um, risky and how does that risk weigh the con with the consequences? And so I, I, I do think I'm self-aware to not have gone there yet. And maybe I'll work my way up to it, or maybe I will never go there, or maybe my perception of it is actually wrong. And I, I could have gone there and I should have gone there already, right? But at the same time, the lack of self-awareness doesn't, um, or the lack of self-awareness dictates what I, what, what, I, what I do choose to do as well. Yeah. It's a really, it's a weird situation or position to be in because- It totally makes sense though. Okay. <laughs> it totally makes sense because you're wanting to make sure that you are like, I know that I'm prepared for this, but I'm not sure. So unless you're sure. And it's impossible to be sure. Yeah. And, and I think, and it's like I said, the same goes for like buying my house or, or choosing to go on a, a big road trip or, or whatever it is. Like these things are, um, or, or speaking out about black lives matters or about the entire, or about the planet or whatever it is. Like are your self-awareness only gets you so far before you just have to dive in and see, were you ready for it or not? Can you talk to me about that just a little, because you brought that up and I think it's important. It's really important to me to talk about because we're living in this time that is much more about social 
justice and what we are all thinking about, right? Like, I just want to say, like, we're recording this right now in the middle of the George Floyd trial. So Mm. um, what in this outdoor skiing industry, talk to me about what it feels like for you to be activist. And now I've seen you be activist. And so I'd like to hear about it in any of the ways. Um, Activism with regard to climate change, which is so important. Activism with regard to um, social justice areas. And I saw like you have Black Lives Matter listed on your uh, on, on your social media, et cetera. So talk to me about that. How does how does that how is that part of being authentic? And do you have any advice for people about how to manage their career and their activism? Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't think I uh, I can hold myself any higher than anyone else as far as the way I've managed it. But I, I do think, just to answer the second part of your question first, um, I, I do think that there is a real fear for people to speak out about the things they care about. And um, in my experience, it's it's always better to to speak out about them than not. Um, Why? I, I, what has your experience told you? Um, my I, there are negative repercussions um, that are always personally outweighed by the potential positive or at least neutral impacts. Right? Like even even if something isn't heard by the people who need to hear it, even if it's um, not benefiting you positively or negatively, at least you're getting out there what you care about, which in my opinion actually is a positive outcome of it. Um, have, I, have I lost sponsors because I'm outspoken about these issues that are for some reason controversial? Sure. Has that, and, and again, I, I can sit here and say so proudly like, yes, I'm willing to lose those sponsors for that reason. But remember, those sponsors are genuinely how I support my livelihood. My entire life is based on these sponsorships, right? And so I, I need to appease them. So then I'm weighing the, the, the pros and cons of like, well, do I, do I hold back what I truly feel and what I think I know is right? Or do I speak out about it and risk these negative repercussions that may be very real negative repercussions? You know, the social ramifications beyond the positive, or excuse me, beyond the professional ramifications, um, again, they can be positive, neutral, or negative. Um, I think if it's, you know, if it's what you truly feel like is the right thing, um, I, I honestly think that the negative are always that way. You know, do I get the mean messages on social media? Do I get, yes, for sure. Um, do I consider the well-spoken, like articulate arguments, you know, so to speak against what I'm saying? Definitely. Um, but have I, have I thought through this before I speak out about it? Absolutely. Um, and in my world in the past two years, that has shifted largely from, um, centering myself in this narrative of, um, woe is me, the climate, climate change is affecting my job and my industry. It's an $887 billion industry nationally. You know, it's like, oh, climate change does have very real ramifications, but, listen to the pro skier who's seen climate change firsthand tell you about that, right? In the past two years, has that shifted to um, decentering myself and trying to elevate and uplift stories of, um, or voices of people telling different stories than like the traditional white guy going skiing, 
doing this extremely uh, expensive sport with extraordinarily high barriers to entry. Right, yes, because are there other ways to tell that story um, that have the same outcome, but a diversity of voices attached to them? Absolutely. Um, and is that hard to do when a huge part of my job is centering myself? Because if I'm not centering myself, that means I'm not centering my sponsors. If I'm uplifting the voices of other people, does that necessarily mean I'm diminishing my voice? And that's something I still fight with. They would say that, no, that doesn't, right? Like that is what people want to hear that if you're uplifting someone else that, you know, uh, what is it? Ocean tide, all the ships come up, right? <laughs> um, I, it, I still struggle with my, in my career, is that necessarily true? Um, because there is only so much space at the table. There are only so much, so much marketing budget to go around. Um, but am I doing it because I think it's the right thing? Yes. Am I doing it the quote right way? Well, I think uh, fortunately and unfortunately, there's not necessarily a right way. You can talk to two experts on it and they will have two different opinions of it. Um, do I try to take the general consensus of the right way to elevate, uplift and support voices and faces that are different than mine? Absolutely. I just have to follow up and ask when you're talking about controversial activism that you do, where do you find the most controversy and what type of activism? Um, oh, as far as like what topics kind of, Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I mean, I mean, climate change is like my big, I kind of yeah. break like my, um, my activism, the top three things that I focus on are avalanche education, public land stewardship and climate advocacy. Um, those are the three things. Public land, extremely controversial, typically along party lines, because it's like, okay, do we want to exploit these lands and quote, utilize their natural resource, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or do we want to leave them pristine and wild, right? That is hugely controversial. Um, is that directly related to climate change? Because the way that these lands are typically exploited um, usually contributes to climate change. Absolutely. So those, that controversy continues to the climate change sphere. Uh, mm -hmm. Avalanche education, it seems like what could possibly be controversial about someone who has spent 15 years in the backcountry avoiding avalanches successfully, trying to help others learn about that. Turns out that's controversial too, because people are like, oh, the more you teach people, the more crowded the backcountry is going to get, the more crowded the backcountry is going to get is the more likelihood that someone above you on a slope is going to start an avalanche and it's going to come down on you. There's always kind of two sides to this story, right? Um, and recently has all of that tied in because climate justice is social justice and vice versa and vice versa. Does all of this intersect and the people who usually disagree with you on one are going to disagree with you on all of them for sure. So um, as you know, the, the avalanche side of things kind of aside, um, all of the other topics are so interwoven um, that people just, man, they're it's fascinating, really. It totally, yeah. and that makes sense because climate justice goes along with social justice, goes along with being safe wherever we are. But like, uh, uh, I think that's really like that. Well, and Annalisa, think about it. I could keep my job, probably not have it adversely affected at all, just keep my lips sealed and avoid all of the negativity that I receive, which I don't want to make it sound like is this crazy amount of, but 
I mean, does it take a, a emotional labor to get over this? Can some of it be kind of traumatic? Absolutely. Are people awful on the internet? For sure. Um, and can't I, couldn't I just keep my mouth shut and just be a skier? Because you know what? A lot of pro skiers are just like talking about how much fun they're having, shredding pow and getting paid to do it. <laughs> Definitely. But is that, that's just, that's just not me. That's and not authentically Brody. That's not authentically you. <laughs> that is not I think there's something me. really important about our ability to operate in the world authentically and being true to our own personal value system. Yeah. And I mean, um, I, I think it, I don't know if the difficulty of that is elevated by having um, a followers platform. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, because that is the world that I live in, you know, like my girlfriend's got the same platform. Most of my friends are these influencers with the same platform. So like I'm surrounded by that a lot. And we all complain about the negativity we receive, blah, blah, blah. But we're also all really outspoken about what we care about. Um, it, it's, which is not to say that it's easier to be outspoken with what you care about when you're just among your colleagues in your office or on your Zoom call and you wanna bring up the fact that your, your colleague is sitting in their car idling during this Zoom call. You know, like all of these things that they come up and I don't necessarily think one is easier than the other, but um, when I, since I do have the platform, I can definitely speak for that world, which is, it is not easy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. I do want to ask you because you did say that um, that when you I'm interested in when you describe yourself as a storyteller, the reason I want to bring that up is because I think it goes to something that I'm personally super interested in, which is um, how do you feel about the ability to tell the story as a way to authentically connect? I mean, it's called Connection Collaborative where I like mm -hmm. like I'm really interested in like really knowing someone authentically connecting. So what is the role of storyteller in your career in terms of connection? Um, I think if I look at my, uh, my peers and my colleagues, you'll see kind of a, a spectrum of people that shine the spotlight on the, the glory days and the powder turns and the helicopter that drops them off on top of the mountain and uh, these activities are fun. It's all about fun, 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 positive smile, high fives. Um, and then you'll see people that are uh, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, like by trying to be authentic and they are connect and they want to connect in such a way that um, it's almost contrived, like talking about, I could sit here and talk how I don't come from a family of skiers until my face is blue and how that made skiing a difficult sport for me to enter and how I had to pay my own way through a small private liberal arts college, blah, 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 blah. And like, just really tear at the heartstrings and see, you know what I mean? Like that I think is kind of the other end of the spectrum, which I also don't think is authentic. Those stories can be true and the high fives and the smiles can also be true. But I think um, for most of us, our authentic selves fall somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. Um, and the stories that I tell, whether they're traditional or social media or public speaking or these podcasts or whatever it is, those stories, um, ideally fall somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. I, I've received, I have received feedback from my sponsors saying, Hey, a lot of these podcast interviews you do tend to like, you kind of harp on like the, the down parts of your job. And I'm like, am I really harping on them? Or are you just hearing kind of both sides of my job that are very real? 
And yeah. um, I, I don't like to pretend that, you know, it's all roses. And I think the grass is always greener, but at the same time, I do like to connect with people on the level that like, we're all doing what we're doing probably because we think it's the right thing to do. Um, I, I wouldn't be advocating for the climate if I thought it was wrong. And so as much as people may try to convince me that it's wrong and I consider their opinions, if I keep doing it, it's because I keep considering it the right thing for at least me to be doing. Um, and so like, I, I'm not one to hold back, you know, I respond to every single social media message that I receive wow. with these people. And, and I, I tell the ups and the downs of these expeditions that I go on. And I talk about the, the personal relationships I have with my mountain partners and my sponsors and the photographers and the videographers. And I talk about the way that those impact my decision-making, my risk versus consequence balance, like all of these things, like I talk about them because I would want to hear about them. Yeah. Um, and I'm a huge consumer of the type of media that I also create. Like I, I watch all the films and I listen to all the, I mean, I listen to so many podcasts and I read all the magazines cover to cover. And I read the books that the climbers come out with as soon as they're published. And I'm a huge consumer of it first and foremost. And I think because of that, I have a good grasp on what I like to hear. And I think like all of us in life, we like to take the best qualities from the people that we meet and incorporate those into ourselves to hopefully make each of us the best person that we can be. And um, as I do that uh, personally and professionally, I also like to do it with the way that I uh, share the stories of the experiences that I have. I love that you do that. And I'm not sure that a lot of people do that who are in some ways professional storytellers. I think what we look to people to do is to tell us the very super sexy parts of their jobs or their lives and not the parts that are the, you know, boring or unattractive or that, you know, the sucky parts that we talked about, the stuff that you have to do, but it's not sexy. Um, and I would always tell my students when they were thinking about careers that if you're going to, we always think of job shadowing. And I would say to them, like, if you're going to go job shadow, make sure you do it on the most unsexy day. Mm. Because if you still want that job after, then that's the job for you. But if you only want it when it's sexy, you probably shouldn't go that direction. In my industry, we talk about a lot of uh, aspirational and inspirational marketing. And maybe that crosses over to other industries. I'm not sure. But it's like the inspirational marketing um, is like, hey, I'm going to go on a little run today. Like that should hopefully get you off your couch and you go on a little run today too. And then there's the aspirational like, oh, Brody's in, in Africa skiing the third highest peak in the continent I didn't even know there's a mountain in Uganda, but it turns out like I, I don't aspire to do that. But, like it's kind of in that world, you know? And um, I, again, I think in order to, to really relate to folks, which is what I like to do, like personally, like that's, that's nice for me, um, is to fall somewhere in the middle of that, of that spectrum. You know, like I don't think I can um, make a living just by being an inspirational athlete. I have to go do these things that are um, slightly beyond the reach of I think most people. Um, and I've worked really hard to make them within my reach or just out of it. Um, <laughs> but it, it's the reason that I, you know, I, I love meeting folks and I love hearing their stories. And when I do meet them at a movie premiere or a whatever signing, it's like, I want to hear about you because if you're here, you, you know, my thing, like I'm a skier, that's great. But like, what is it about you that makes you care about these things? I want to ask, I have two more questions for you and then I'll let you go. But the one I just feel like I have to ask, which is 
that has to do with, you know, and it's probably my fangirling that is about like going to work, uh, going to Paris to work on the climate accord or speaking to Congress about climate change. Talk to me about what that is like. And do you get those moments where you're like, I just did this. Do you have like some pinch me moments? I, I, um, I definitely have those moments, but do I ever say I, like, I'm, I'm pretty bad at kind of like being in the present and realizing that I think, and like taking that step back. I mean, like it, if I was better at that, Annalisa, I think I'd probably be a much happier and more successful person because I like, I'm so lucky and like the life I get to live is like so incredible. And I try to do that at least when I'm in the mountains here, because like, I have this trailhead less than five minutes from my house. And it is like what I dreamed of as a kid in Cleveland. Oh, that makes me so happy though, Brody, because what you, when you are pinching yourself, I mean, see how smart I was to have you talk about authenticity because I'm like, aren't you thinking you're super cool when you're at Congress? And you're like, no, I'm thinking that I'm super cool. And I have my pinch me moments when I'm on the mountain. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's really what it is. Yeah. I, that's really super beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's the truth. Like I look out in my kitchen, I just got these big windows in my kitchen. Now I can see Mount Olympus and it's like that, like that, that is, that is kind of what I wanted to like live this life that allows me to be in mountain. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for all of your time. I appreciate it. It's so good to see you. Oh yeah. It's good to see you too, Annalisa. This, this like, I, I just like, so much in, you know, it's a really common question to be like in this world to be like, what's the next big thing you're planning on doing? What's your next expedition? And like, so much of this is just like trying to stay above water, you know? Yeah. And yeah. like, I have a hard time just like thinking, okay, what am I going to do for training tomorrow? And how is that going to work with the install of the cabinet guy, you know? And, um, and so like, it's really good to kind of step back and just like, think about like, yeah, like this is still the only job I've ever had. Like, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Like you really do. I mean, even though I joke about the personal board, you are Brody11.com. So <laughs> you do have a board of directors somehow. It's just the people that you turn to when you need something. I, I think you're right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think there's only, I don't know, a couple dozen people in the world that make a living, like kind of doing the same thing. Amazing. I'm That's doing so it. Amazing. Cool. Thank you, Thank mister. You. Good <laughs> Take to care. see you. See you later. I want to express my gratitude to Brody for being so authentic with us. You can learn more about him on his website, brodylevin.com, and you can find him on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Next week, I'll be joined by Alana Dunnigan. Alana is a policy advisor and researcher. Her intellect is matched by her humor, and we will be talking about communication. I hope you'll join us. As always, thank you for listening to 92,000 Hours. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. We really appreciate your support. If you're interested in integrating the personal and professional through authentic conversation, just like you heard on our episode today, please check out our work at Connection Collaborative. 
You can find us at ConnectionCollaborative.com or send me an email at Annalisa at ConnectionCollaborative.com. Thank you and see you next week on 92,000 Hours. Ninety-two thousand hours is made possible by Connection Collaborative. This episode was produced and edited by Brianna Stegel. Lexi Banks is our marketing director, and I'm your host, Annalisa Holcomb.